are listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network, presented by SB Nation, hosted by Jake Devereaux, and featuring Keaton DeRocher. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. Good to be back and on our regular weekly cadence now that we've got some real ball. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, changes coming up here to the Over the Monster uh, podcast uh, family, this, this network that we're building over here. Uh, it seems like forever the the Red Seat was the only podcast on here, but now we've got uh, Matt and I's unnamed show, which is going to be coming out uh, to you guys on Wednesdays. Uh, we've got Keaton and Shelley's uh, precap show that's going to be coming out uh, at the end and beginning of, of each new series. Um, and then we have the prospect show that Shelley has been working on as well with Trevor Huth and um, you know, the state of that show is, is a little in flux because of what's happening with no minor leagues this year. But uh, overall, we've got an exciting assortment of, of podcasts on this network, which we're kind of building out here to give you as much possible coverage of Red Sox baseball as we can, uh, whether you like it or not, apparently, uh, because <laughs> there is a lot not to like this weekend. Um but on today's show, we are going to be discussing the highlights and the lowlights from the three games, as well as some news. And then we'll get to uh, all of the 10 listener questions that we got for this episode as well. Whew, I can take a breath. All right, so let's get into it. Um, pitching is the big story of this weekend. Um, one performance that was really good by Nathan Eovaldi and two performances that were pretty horrible um, by uh, Ryan Weber uh, today as we're recording this, and Martin Perez, my boy, uh, as uh, Saturday's game. So uh, let's start off with the good, um, because we need some of that. Uh, what was your impression of Nadia Evaldi on opening day? Evaldi looked great. Um, it took a little bit for him to get settled in. The, he really, really struggled to get the third out in the first two innings. Wasn't generating a lot of swing and misses, but he wasn't giving up really a lot of hits uh, or really solid contact. Uh, overall, I thought it was as good a performance as you could have expected coming off this massively long layoff uh, and pretty optimistic about him going forward as uh, what will probably be, I guess, the ace of the staff for the season. So I was I was happy with his performance. I thought he pitched great. Yeah, I was too. Um, if we wanted to get real nitpicky about it, I think that the lack of swing and miss stuff there from Nate Eovaldi was the thing that, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about, but overall you have to like the fact that he was pumping 98 mile an hour on average, 97 and a half mile an hour, uh, four seamers the whole time. Um, the cutter was coming in at like 93 with some good movement to it. The splitter was awesome. I think that was kind of his best pitch. Um, and in terms of, how he used things that day. He threw about 40% four seams, about 9% cutters. Um, and the slider he used quite a bit, 23.6% and the splitter 21% of the time. Um, in terms of whiffs generated, 
Um, the splitter was the the pitch of his that was actually getting all of the whiffs for him, essentially. He threw a couple curves that got some swing and misses as well. But the problem with the outing to me was that the, the cutter didn't really generate any whiffs uh, and the slider generated very little. So I think Nate has to develop another pitch that can miss bats if he wants to kind of stay out of trouble consistently. I agree. I mean, it was a good lineup to start the season out against for Rivaldi. That was a good litmus test. Um, obviously, the opponents are going to get much harder going out. So first start of the year, kind of easing back into action. Um, this was probably the team you wanted to start against. And he got a good result. Um, strikeouts, I think we're going to see improve as he gets more into. I mean, it's really hard, I think, for pitchers in particular after this incredibly long layoff where you started and then stopped and then started again um, to maybe be ramped up to like full expectations at this point. Um, so I, to me, he did as good as I kind of expected him to do. And I kind of expect him to continue to get better the more starts he gets. Yeah. And I agree with you on, on that. And I also want to just note one more thing that this is a change in his, in his usage patterns too. He, he's never thrown this many splitters before. Um, and it seems to be an interesting pitch for him. So I'm kind of going to be looking to see if he can continue to have success with that and build off of that in future starts. Uh, because in, in 2018 and 2019, he was like right around a 12, 13% splitter guy. Um, so being over 20, that's a huge change. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that mix affects the batters. Obviously not as many swing and misses now, but sequencing could be improved. Yes, absolutely. So we move from the very good to the uh, very, very bad. Um, I guess it wasn't absolutely devastatingly bad or anything like that, but uh, Martin Perez uh, on Saturday did not pitch well. He threw five innings, allowed just six hits, um, four earned runs, five runs total, um, struck out two guys, walked two batters, threw 84 pitches. Um, It didn't it didn't feel Ryan Weber bad uh, like today, uh, but the problem that I had with with watching this performance from Martin Perez was like, yes, maybe um, you've developed a cutter that's an interesting pitch, and that's all well and good, but you still have four other pitches in his four seam, his sinker, his changeup, and his curveball, which seem to almost always play down um, to the point where they're very hittable offerings. Um, and you know, he threw the cutter 41% of the time. That was great. I was interested in that, but he didn't actually get many whiffs on the pitch. He got most of his whiffs on his changeup, um, during this game. He threw a lot of changeups as well. Overall, the cutter just wasn't a great weapon. I don't think because it was kind of predictable when he was throwing it and the rest of his offerings just weren't working that well. No. And even... The cutter was a struggle for him. He got away with some cutters that just didn't break. Yeah. just stayed on the outside part of the plate. Um, and he got a couple swings and misses on those. And they, they weren't supposed to be straight fastballs, and they were. So the fact that he didn't even have uh, real command of his best pitch or what was supposed to be his best pitch is pretty concerning. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, the, the slugging, uh, the... The extra base hits didn't really happen off of his cutter, which is, I think, a uh, silver lining here. But his four seam and his sinker just suck. 
Like they are very bad pitches. Um, and I don't know how he can survive like that. And um, one of the other things is that one of the guys on Twitter, I want to give him credit. I forgot to load this up. I'm going to do it while I'm talking to you here. Um, but essentially someone had posted um, that you, um, sorry, Martin Perez um, has had like over 30% of his starts over the last five years. He's given up more than five earned runs. That's wild. That's a lot. That's way too many runs. That's way too many runs. Yeah, it's a, a tremendous amount of runs. I guess uh, silver lining is he was able to get through five innings pitched. So, I mean, he's basically taking the Porcello role. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, that's a silver lining. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, don't call it the Porcello role, man. That's just <laughs> I rude. I was wondering if you were going to comment on that. Yeah, well, you got me off guard because I'm trying to find this tweet, and then you're calling things the Porcello rule. Um, yeah, so I can't find the tweet right now, but that's bumming me out. Um, anyhow, um, that was a great tweet by him, um, and I will try and find it as the, the podcast goes on. Um, oh, wait, I did find it. Yes, uh, it's Gary Marbury. Sorry if this is bad radio or, or, or podcasting. But, yes, yeah, so he is over the last – here it is um, – do, do, do. Since 2015, um, he has allowed five or more runs 38 times in 124 starts, which is 30.6%. Only Ubaldo Jimenez and Jordan Zimmerman have allowed five or more earned runs more times. So, yeah, Gary Marbury with a good one there. That is quite a sample size. It is. Um, and, you know, there were some surprising names on this list. Uh, a lot of names that you'd expect to be there. Um, but one that I was really shocked to see, Jose Berrios, 26% of his starts. Wow, that is yep. surprising. Yeah, and we think of him like an up-and-coming ace. So, very interesting. Then All right, let's get to Ryan nice. Weber. Um, what were your thoughts on Ryan Weber today? <laughs> Not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah. I think that about sums it up. Uh, started early. Uh, no strikeouts and three walks. That's a problem. Um, had a chance to maybe kind of carve out a role for himself here, but uh, it looks like we're really just going to have like two bullpen days, which isn't great because I don't think this bullpen is really built for even one. So <clears throat> there's going to be some struggles for sure. And, I mean, Weber just had nothing going, and he just got rattled around pretty consistently yeah i agree his changeup was i thought his best pitch um but it just doesn't matter when you're throwing an 88 mile an hour sinker consistently 87 mile an hour sinker i mean the guy has just bad stuff fringe stuff uh up and down starter stuff um ryan weber does not have be in a major league rotation stuff consistently certainly not as the guy starting the third game of the season for the Red Sox. You know, that's no. just not going to cut it. And what's kind of a major red flag is I believe that both home runs were off pitches that were not strikes. Mm-hmm. And when guys are taking you deep on pitches out of the zone, that doesn't really bode well for when you're in the zone. So, no. I mean, that's basically what happened. <laughs> no, no swings and misses, no strikeouts, just a whole lot of hits and runs. And that's kind of, kind of predictable. 
Yeah, and, and looking at his chart from from today, um, this is from today. Yeah, this is from today. It looks like those were basically on the way outside of the strike zone, and yeah, yeah, way outside. So kind of like the outside corner uh, for a right-handed batter. Um, yeah, so that's not normally a place where you want to see his off a hot zone. No, no, not at all. All right, so the question is, I guess, um, where do we go from here now that the Red Sox are dealing with the fact that Nathan Eovaldi has really been the only reliable guy that we've seen in these three starts? I think there is still some hope for Martin Perez, um, and I, I do think it's important to make that distinction between Martin Perez and Ryan Weber at this point because Weber just simply doesn't have the stuff to compete Martin Perez has stuff that is fringe enough where like you could kind of justify him as a five starter if he has his stuff that day. But like, I don't really see a lot with Ryan Weber here. Nope. And I think once um, Godley gets plopped in the rotation here, we basically have him and uh, Perez as you said, just kind of like they both have fringe stuff to be fifth starters, but unfortunately they're going to be like the number two and three starter for the season. And then Matt Hall gets a chance here in game two against the Mets to carve himself out. Uh, we got a bullpen day tomorrow, starting with Joss Osich. So uh, where they go from here is <laughs> if it's even kind of possible, it continues to go downhill until we're back to Evaldi. Um, it's just going to be a long season. It's going to be really hard to watch. Yeah, and and I don't think um, I don't think that my optimistic projections of this team, which I, I think they can be like a if everything was working, I think they can be like a five hundred ish team. I think I predicted them to be thirty two and twenty eight. There's no way they're going to be thirty two and twenty eight with these four guys at the back of their rotation. They really need Eduardo Rodriguez back in quickly. Um, however, I guess we can just get into that right now. Like you mentioned, Osich and Godley are going to be the the opener and the follower <coughs> tomorrow. Um, but there is really no timetable for Eduardo Rodriguez right now because he's dealing with a heart condition that was caused by COVID uh, called myocarditis. Uh, if I'm saying that correctly. You are. It is an inflammation of a heart muscle, um, which is caused by a viral infection, and it can diminish the heart's ability to pump blood, and that is via uh, Julian McWilliams of the Boston Globe. So Eduardo Rodriguez has said that he is not planning to opt out of the year. Um, You know, he hopes to pitch and pitch soon, um, and it seems like the doctors are kind of just telling him to play it by how he feels. Um, this is really concerning to me, though, because Eduardo Rodriguez has been a guy who, you know, has missed time with stuff before, and um, I don't know if, like, what we're going to get from him if and when he pitches. I I don't know, and it's hard even to think or care about that right now because, like, he's dealing with a heart condition because of COVID. Like, I don't know if I really care if he pitches. It's good for this baseball team, but, like, this is just a scary thing that he's dealing with. Yeah, I don't think he has to worry about opting out because I don't think he's going to be given the chance. Um, 
I don't think the doctors are going to clear him to play in within the next two months. Um, I mean, so one of the things that uh, goes along with this condition is the suggestion of to kind of let it heal, uh, avoid playing sports for three to six months. Um, so that would be past the season. Um, especially in a, I don't see any reason to try and rush him back in a two month sprint at all. Uh, even with like expanded playoffs with this pitching, they're not going anywhere. So I, I don't think the doctors are going to clear him. And I, I don't think that it would make a difference if he was here or not. Cause everything else that's around the pitching staff is just so bad. What do you mean by that? The second point, what everything else that's around the pitching staff. Like, do you mean, like, just these two guys are the only two that are anchoring it? So, with three terrible starters, it still wouldn't make a difference? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because, I mean, he's, like, if he got cleared today, right, he'd still have to ramp back up. So, we wouldn't see him for, like, another three weeks anyway. Yeah. So, his best case scenario, as we stand today, is to just come back for one month of the season. And by by then, it's going to be over (laughs) with the, the guys that they're throwing out there to get outs. Um, there's going to be no point in trying to like rush him back for what would be like at that point three starts, four starts. Yeah, no, I agree with that. If if and I don't know anything about this condition other than what I read in the Boston Globe, so um, I can't really speak to the severity of it. But yeah, it seems like if it is at all severe, next year when they get have an actual off season to you know <clears throat> work on some things and. Um, they'll be reset with the payroll if they play the, the whole year this year. There's like a whole bunch of stuff that they can do to actually assess this baseball team and make some better decisions for it so the product is better than what we have this year. Um, it seems like that should be more the focus, like you said, Keaton, than, than trying to rush back for this. And and if, if he is out the entire year, I mean, the Red Sox are going to be battling more with the Orioles than they are with even Toronto uh, for relevancy uh, this year. There's just there's only so much an offense can do with pitching like that. Yeah, I think honestly, I might go with the go to the extreme and say, let's just play out the season, see where they fall, get a good draft pick, and use this season to see what you have in some of your guys and then just retool for when there hopefully is a an actual season next year i just don't see the way that this pitching staff and bullpen is built like i'm not i just i don't think they can compete even in with the expanded playoffs so with like a health risk to one of your best pitchers i just i wouldn't try and rush him back just to have like a start or two in this weird ass season yeah that's fair um I don't know what will happen um, with this, so it'll be something that we'll have to continue to monitor. But, yeah, I don't, I don't feel great about uh, everything that's going on right now. Um, let's move off of the pitching staff here for a second to the hitters. Um, I thought it was kind of frustrating watching at least the last two games of the series that the Red Sox offense had a lot of trouble hitting some pretty ochre uh, Orioles pitching. So I will give some credit. On Saturday, Alex Cobb looked pretty good. And we've seen Alex Cobb have success at the major league level in the past. I thought he was working really effectively uh, on Saturday. So I'm not sure that that is really such an indictment on the Red Sox because he has that capability. However, Wade LeBlanc um, pitched well 
today for Wade LeBlanc. But this is a dude who's coming in tossing, as Eck would say, that soft salad all day long. Um, he was placing it kind of well, and his changeup looked okay. But the Red Sox offense needs to be able to to get to him, and it took them a while to get to him for four runs today. Um, and they couldn't do anything with Cobb yesterday. Yeah, his changeup had some guys just looking absurd. Uh, ben Tendi didn't know what to do with it and struck out in his at-bat as a pinch hitter. Uh, and he wasn't the only one. Um, I will say, like, if Christian Vasquez and Jackie Bradley Jr. are the ones that are carrying your offense in the game, chances are you're probably not going to win it. Um, it should be coming from the top. Martinez, Devers, Bogarts, Ben Intendi. Uh, and when those guys struggle, they're not going to score a lot of runs. Um, I will say, though, it is incredibly encouraging to see Jackie Bradley Jr. going the other way. And if that's going to be consistent, he's going to be a problem this year. Yeah, he's been uh, super hot to start it, and he was kind of hot in spring and then into the summer camp, uh, and he has kind of carried that over, um, so that's been really, really good to see. Um, and Jackie Bradley Jr. also has already made a couple web gems. Sure has. Yeah. He's awesome. A lot of good outfield defense kind of on both sides of the series. Yes. Absolutely. Um, And speaking of good outfield defense, that kind of leads us into the next point here. Uh, Alex Verdugo um, has looked really good, in my opinion, in both of the games I saw him. Um, Today, he didn't get a hit, but uh, in yesterday's game on Saturday, he went three for four. But the thing I was most impressed with and that I've been impressed with when I've watched him is how aggressive he is in the field, um, playing defense. He seems to get after balls really well, makes really strong throws. I mean, he moved to left field pretty seamlessly today from right field. Um, and on the base paths, he's been aggressive, even kind of a bonehead one time to get away with it. Um, trying to take third where, you know, good throw. He's probably gunned out there, but overall, um, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Alex Verdugo. And I kind of feel like the way that Benintendi is going, even though it's been a small sample size, Benintendi has struggled in the leadoff spot in the past. I really like the idea of Verdugo and his just uber confidence leading off baseball games. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, it's a small sample size because it's only been three games this season. Well, I mean, two games because he was pitcher today. But we had we saw a much larger sample size last season with him in the leadoff spot and he struggled in that first at bat. Once it got beyond the first at bat, things were kind of generally okay from then on. But that first at bat really sets the tone for the game. So, and if it's always a strikeout or an out, um, you're kind of already setting up the guys behind you, uh, in an ineffective position. Uh, but beyond being able to get hits Verdugo also has a really good talent for just getting on base in general. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for at the top. Like today, Jose Peraza, uh, let off and, his career OBP really isn't spectacular. So I I guess I I like the shakeup with Ben Benintendi not in the lineup, uh, but I would have preferred to see Verdugo there. And he had uh, a pretty significant number of at-bats last year with the Dodgers hitting at the top. <clears throat> I think most of it came at second, uh, or batting second. Uh, AJ Pollock and Max Muncy let off a lot. Um, but he was there at the top of the order and was really effective at getting on base ahead of Bellinger and um, Peterson and him getting on base ahead of Martinez, Devers and Bogarts 
I think is really going to set this offense up for success for an offense that's already has a ton of success. I just think that's the most effective way to go about the lineup. So I, I'm hoping that soon we see that change. I would kind of be shocked if we don't see that by the end of this week, especially if Benintendi doesn't turn it around and get it going. But I've seen enough of Benintendi in the leadoff spot to feel confident that that's really not where he should be. And I know that on paper it makes sense, but I think there's sort of a closer-ish mentality type thing. We talk about like different spots having different feels and like Workman clearly was a different human being pitching in the closing spot last year. I think Verdugo has this sort of innate swagger to him where the moment just doesn't really matter and he's just such a, a gamer out there that like he does not give a shit if he's going up against another team's ace to start off the game. I kind of think he likes it, which makes me really interested in him being there, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah, and given that the game uh, season is only 60 games, you can't really kind of wait to see how things shake out. You have to make changes quicker. So I think I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised if by the weekend we're kind of seeing a different look at the top. I got to ask, though, how worried are you about Benintendi? He looked terrible against breaking stuff. Um, I guess not super worried yet because it is only a couple of games. Right. Um, and I think – for the most part, you got to give guys the benefit of the doubt because they they had an off season, then they ramped up in spring training, and then sat down again, and then ramped up again, uh, and that can really mess with some guys. So I I'm not um, pushing the panic button yet, but I'm making sure I know where it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good phrase. I like that. Um, yeah, you can't you can't fault anybody too much. Uh, three games is three games, and if this were Three games in the middle of 162, we would not bat an eye at it. So we're clearly overreacting. Uh, That's typical for opening weekend, but you know what? It's what we got. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One takeaway I had, aside from Peraza spending time at leadoff, which I thought was interesting, but clearly, you know, all the beat writers have been writing about this, how much Renicky has really enjoyed Peraza on the team. He seems to really like him as a player. Peraza has played every single game and drawn starts at second base. I don't think Peraza is in a timeshare with Chavis. I kind of think Chavis is in a straight platoon with Mitch Moreland playing against lefties and Chavis continued to get embarrassed on stuff upstairs, uh, even kind of mediocre stuff upstairs um, and is hitless so far in these two games that he played. Yeah, I think you're right on all of that. Are you concerned about Chavis? Yeah, I'm starting to get a little concerned. <laughs> it took it's... me a lot longer to get there than, uh, than everyone else, but yeah. Well, I mean... Still still my boy, and I wish him the best, but I'm running out of time to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's worrisome, um, but don't feel too bad about it, Keaton. We all have our guys. I was uh, pretty pumped for Martin Perez, so, you know. It is what it is. Um, J.D. Martinez, though, is batting second in this lineup. And a kind of new Sabre metric philosophy says that you should be batting your best uh, player in the two-hole because they're going to be able to drive in the leadoff hitter, but they also get more at-bats over the course of the season than a three-hitter or a four-hitter. Do you like J.D. Martinez batting second? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I I mean, he's going to... 
he's going to produce and get hits no matter where he is. I think it's more important who you have in front of him. Uh, but the more at-bats he gets, the better. So I, don't, I like it. Yeah, I don't have any issue with it either, um, just because I, I feel super confident in the two guys behind him in Endeavors and Bogarts to drive him in when he gets on base, and he has been a prolific on-base guy as well as being able to just drive the baseball. Um, and I think it's interesting to have that type of tone-setting power up in the two-spot um, to, to lead lead off the game. Yeah, it doesn't really give pitchers a chance to kind of take a breath and get settled. Like if you you don't have your best stuff for the you know your first five ten pitches, whatever, and the leadoff guy gets on, um, well, you're in trouble immediately because JD Martinez is now at the plate. It doesn't really give you a chance to kind of correct your mistakes. So I like putting that kind of pressure on the pitchers from the jump. So I like it. Yeah, it, I'm still not concerned about this lineup in any way. Um, I, I think there's just that too much talent here to really be concerned about that. Even though I was frustrated that they couldn't hit crappy O's pitching, I think that has more to do with what we were kind of talking about in the lead-up to this opening weekend, uh, that pitchers have uh, everything going a little bit more than hitters do. Hitters take a little bit longer to get their timing. And I think that, I mean, there are times where the Red Sox offense was frustrating last year in a full season. Um, There's times where they'll be frustrating again during the 60 games, but they're going to consistently score a bunch of runs. So, I mean, no one goes undefeated, but it's just disappointing against the talent level that they saw against the Orgos. They weren't able to have better results here after such a long layoff and everybody's excitement about finally getting going this season. Kind of just threw a nice big old bucket of cold water on us right from the jump. And that's no fun. No, it's not. Uh, when you are losing a series to a team that uh, after Saturday's game, when they were 1-1, one one, they had the lowest playoff uh, likelihood percentage in Major League Baseball at 1.1% uh, to make the playoffs. And heading into Sunday's game, the Red Sox, this is all via Fangraph's projections, were 67.5% uh, to make the playoffs. It definitely didn't feel like a 67.5% team was playing a 1.1% team. No, it did not. <laughs> Anything can happen in any given series, though. So I'm just sure trying can. to remind myself of that. All right. Um, let's talk about the outfield. So the outfield playing time was kind of interesting. Um, and it threw a lot of people, I think, for a loop on opening day. When JBJ was in against a lefty, but Pilar was in right field uh, starting for Verdugo. And I think a lot of people started to think, oh man, is Verdugo in a platoon? But I don't think Verdugo is in a platoon. I think that JBJ was drawing that start because it was opening day. And I still think that Pilar is going to play against every lefty. But I think that that's going to be more of a platoon with JBJ and that Verdugo is going to be more of an everyday guy. What is your read on that situation right now? Yeah, Verdugo should be. I mean, he also hits lefties really well, so there's no real sense of why he should be in a platoon um, other than just to like get Pilar some at-bats. But he should definitely be getting the majority of at-bats in there with uh, Benintendi and JBJ. And... I mean, we kind of saw Benintendi trending towards platoon last year. 
And if he continues to struggle, um, I might might prefer it to go that way instead of at Purdue if there is a platoon. But I I mean, Pilar's defense is really good. But so is Verdugo, so it's not like you're sacrificing when you have Verdugo in the field versus Pilar. Um, I don't really get it, and hopefully as the season goes on, maybe it was because, I mean, Renicky did make a point of wanting to get guys days off. Um, specifically, it was day games after night games and not just the first game of the season. But maybe it was him just wanting to get guys rest early on, and so he saw an opportunity to sit Verdugo at this up this point, I'm hoping that's what it is. I'd be really frustrated if he is in a platoon. I would be too, and it wouldn't make a lot of sense from uh, an analytically driven guy like Heimblum, who's in charge of this whole operation, not to recognize the fact that Verdugo really doesn't show any platoon splits. And going back to JBJ and Pilar, that's the most logical thing in the world. I was talking about this with Matt on our last podcast, but. Uh, JBJ is like an 80 WRC plus uh, against lefties and 100 versus righties in Pilar is the exact opposite. So that is as perfect a platoon as you could ask for. Um, I do agree that Benintendi has looked bad, but man, how awful would that be if a guy who is like touted to have a 70 grade hit tool ends up in a platoon in left field? I can't even imagine. Neither can I. I don't think that probably happen. is overreacting. Yeah. But I just, I would like to see Pilar as like strictly late game defensive replacement, pinch runner, like fourth outfield role and not given kind of more of a platoon or everyday role. Yeah, I agree. I do think he's going to play a lot more than we think though. Probably. But short season. So though. I just pulled up, um, Verdugo's career splits, and he actually has a 317 average against lefties and a 274 against righties. So he, he kind of hits lefties better than righties. <laughs> Which uh, is just more evidence in the don't platoon this man column. Yeah. Correct. He's really good. He is really, really good. I think people are going to really love him uh, the more that they see Verdugo. Just bets, man. <laughs> people are yeah. still comparing him to bets yeah which is just not not great for a kid all right let's talk about devers defense um it was not good um in the first two games devers has made a couple plays i will give him credit for that uh he's made some good ones but he also made a throwing error and a fielding error back-to-back days on opening day and on saturday uh, that's not the progress we were hoping for from Rafael Devers. And Matt wrote a really interesting article uh, today, I think, on OTM about how important defense is with this mediocre pitching staff. Uh, that can't really stand. No, and I guess one thing that we can, I guess maybe not take away, but he did start really slow last year as well both defensively and offensively. So it may just take him time to get going. It's just in a season like this, they can't afford it. So it's, I mean, if he has another like really bad first month, um, then that wouldn't be much of a departure from what we saw last year, which still ended up being like a top four MVP season, but that's half the season in this truncated format and there's just no room for it. So it's 
maybe there's more pressure on him because of the short season to kind of get this stuff figured out. But we've seen him at times, like his footwork is generally good. And he's in, particularly in the exhibition games, he was, he had some pretty good moments there, picking balls at third and making plays. Um, He just needs to be more consistent. And it's just, it's frustrating to kind of see the progress that he made over the course of the entire season last year. And now it seems like we're back at square one to begin this season. And there's just too much riding on a short season to have that happen again. Yep, I totally agree with everything you said there, and hopefully he can get this ironed out in a short period of time. Uh, a lot of times it seems like some of these errors are just uh, losing a little bit of focus. Um, it's not always like he gets a super difficult or bad hop or you know a, a throw that he super has to rush. It just seems like stuff that should be a little bit more fixable uh, quickly. Yeah. Um, Mitch Moreland... Um, platooning with Chavis, Moreland hit a dinger. That was cool. It was his son's birthday when he did that. Uh, just wanted to note that real quick. Um, but the Red Sox did make a couple transactions that I want to get to. Um, so <clears throat> I think this is really going to be something that this season is going to suck to keep up with is this churn of transactions, uh, at, at the rate that they're coming in and they're swapping out pitchers. But Godley gets called up because he's starting tomorrow, like you alluded to before. Um, Dylan Covey, who was awful on Saturday, got optioned. The Red Sox then have claimed off of waivers uh, two pitchers, Steven Gonzalves and Robert Stock. Do you have any thoughts on either of those two gentlemen? Nope. No, just a really couple more, couple more guys, just the guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'll just give you some very baseline stats on these two individuals. Um, in twenty four point two innings in twenty eighteen with the Twins, uh, Steven Gonzalez uh, had a six point five seven ERA uh, and walked more guys per nine than he struck out. And Uh, Robert Stock throws like 100 miles an hour, but had an ERA of 10.13 in 10.2 innings with the Padres last year, Um, although Stock has had some success in the minor leagues. Um, Neither of these guys is super interesting. This kind of goes back to the whole point of this year. It seems like the Red Sox are going to experiment as much as humanly possible. Uh, with all of the pitchers that they have that are sort of fringe. And we've been talking about this mass of pitchers being kind of indistinguishable from one another in terms of performance. And I think that Bloom is really going to try to do some of that distinguishing over the course of the 60 games. And they still have to add uh, Darwins and Hernandez and Josh Taylor back to this 30-man, which is going to be interesting because basically by the time that they're added, they're going to need to drop two. So it's kind of like dropping four. But, I mean, they have plenty of guys. Like, a, just the back end of the bullpen, it's, it's all the same players. <laughs> so it's just kind of pick the names out of the hat, and you're the four that are gone. <laughs> yeah, at this point, it feels like that's what they could actually do, and it wouldn't really make too much of a difference. <laughs> nope. All right. Moving on from the massive pitchers. Uh, we have listener questions today. We have 10 of them, so we're going to get to as many of these as we can, hopefully all 10. 
Um, our first one comes from Jeff Wax, and he says, should the Sox get an automatic five-run lead at the start of every game? I'm kidding. And no, you won't take up this question, as you're more idealistic about this team than I am, or than I. Uh, yet this team is ravished. The pitching staff is dreadful. Any thoughts on yeah. Jeff's comment I mean, there? With Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez and Nathan Abaldi, it's playable. You take Chris Sale Nathan, uh, and Eduardo Rodriguez out, and it is trash. And that's what we're going to have. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I still don't. <laughs> when you have Ryan Weber going up there, giving up six in the first uh, three and two thirds, <laughs> doesn't matter what kind of lead you have. It's, you're going to be playing from behind. But uh, be curious to see how much work Brandon Workman actually gets because it feels like he's going to be playing from behind quite a lot. Yeah, and hopefully they'll bring him in in situations where there's not even saves, like just to get work. I was kind of hoping they would bring him in today. Um, they got him up the game at was least, kind of close, but. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I wanted them to make that move when they when they got him up. I kind of always feel that way when you're going to get up a guy like that because it is taxing on a guy just to get up and start throwing to some degree. Like, if you're going to get him up, let him throw. I don't know. It's just me. <clears throat> um, all right. Also, just on Jeff's point, I think any team would be in trouble if they lost their two best pitchers. And especially pitchers that were worth as much to the team. I mean, you could argue Sale and and Erod were worth 10 wins between the two pitchers last year. Or close to that. You know, that's that's a lot for any team to lose. Yeah, I would agree. The big man. He says, I know we have a lacking rotation this year. And it seems like everybody except for Eovaldi will probably do a terrible job. Seems correct. Um, could the Sox bring up some prospects from AAA to make some starts? Do you think that would be viable? Um, I'm going to tackle this one first, Keaton. I absolutely think that this is something that will happen and should happen. Um, obviously, there is no AAA. I think what he's talking about is that everybody's hanging out in Pawtucket, who's not on the active roster right now. But, Man, I really want to see some Kyle Hart. I really want to see some Mike Schwarren and some Brian Mata and some Tanner Houck. I want to see all of those guys because these guys that we're seeing right now are giving us nothing, and I think that those guys can give you more than nothing. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't optimistic about this team's chances to make a run or kind of like do something significant this year anyway, even when Erod was still in the rotation. And I think you're right. This season is kind of like the perfect opportunity to see what you have in some guys and get some guys some major league innings. So I would I would like to see that too, just for the sheer sake of uh, why not? Yeah, it would be a lot more pleasant to watch a baseball game with Brian Mata starting than it would be uh, with you know Weber. Jackson Posey, who always gives us off the wall questions, says America is calling. They want you to be president. And you can bring six socks to make up your cabinet. Secretary of State, Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of War, Attorney General, Chief of Staff of the Space Force, and Head Chef. <laughs> the choice is yours. Heaton, where are you going with this one? Um, man, there is a real good opportunity to make a John Henry joke with Secretary of Treasury. But I'm going to... I'm gonna. I'm not going to make it. So 
Uh, Secretary of State. I feel like Xander Bogarts would be pretty solid in that role. I love that one. That's what I was going with that one too. So we're we're both lockstep with that. I mean, he speaks all these languages. He brings people together. Yeah. Secretary of War. I mean, I feel like angry Chris Sale yelling at people in the dugout. Man, we're in a brain meld right now. (laughs) Um, Attorney General. That one. Could litigate some stuff. Yeah, that's that one's harder. What about um, Mitch Moreland? Space Force is perfect for Raphael Devers. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a goofy role. Yeah, it's great yeah. for him. But what what about Moreland for uh, for Attorney General? He oh, seems to have one. a way with a lot of like young guys and stuff. Yep, that's a good one. Uh, head chef. Um, chef Chavis, right? Ah, actually, yep, yeah, that's a good one. That would be <laughs> great for Chavis. And uh, Secretary of Treasury, I'll go Matt Barnes. Okay, uh, Treasury is where we're going where where we're gonna differ. I would go with Christian Vasquez because as like a game caller and uh, somebody who manages like lots of numbers and pitches and stuff like that, I feel like he would be pretty good at being a, a bean counter back there. You know, Secretary of Treasury type guy, filling the coffers. Okay. I see it. Um, who would be your VP, though, if you could pick a Red Sox VP? That we haven't given to any of these yet? Well, I guess that's how it kind of works. Well, because um, you really don't want to waste a great position on a VP, right? Like, Martinez. It's not like they they do that much. Like Xander's probably our best guy, so we're going to put him in an important spot, Secretary of the State. Like We kind of need a figurehead as our VP. J.D. Who? JD? Martinez. Okay. I'm going to go with Eovaldi. Okay. I don't know why. <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> Eovaldi would smile for the people. All right. Alex has our next question. It says, assuming JD's production is going to be great again this year, is there any way the Sox re-sign him after he opts out? Um, that's a big assumption that he's going to opt out. I don't think either of us think he's going to with this market, right? Yeah, I would lean towards that not happening. Um, sure they will, but he'll be, what, three years older from when they signed him in the first place? So they're not going to sign him to $20 million a year. They, I'm sure they would love to at like 12 or 15, but someone else would probably give him more, even if it's just for like a three-year deal. Right, so next year he's going to make nineteen point three five million, and he's going to make the same thing in twenty twenty two. Even with the DH spot, and the National League, as of right now, is not going to have the DH in twenty twenty one. That could change, sure. Um, I don't see it. I don't see him getting more than that. No, I mean the AAV is twenty two. So looking at it in in that terms, like I don't, I don't think he's going to get twenty anywhere else. So. I think it would benefit him, even though um, he has the opportunity to. It just, this offseason just feels really weird. Um, sure, there's a chance, but it's kind of like the the Mookie. And once he's gone, he's, he's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll keep him. 
Uh, Quinn has our next question. He says, when can I expect Kevin Pillar to be a perennial MVP candidate? Um, currently, Pillar is batting 500. So, right now. And gold glove defense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think right now would be the peak of the Kevin Pillar MVP candidacy. I imagine it'll be downhill from here. Are you going to call in a bet? Are you going to place a bet? No, I'm not. I'm not uh, much of a better anyway. I'm not either. Uh, only on fantasy baseball. Uh, Cam Cundiff has our next question. He says, most likely starter outside of Evo Uvalde, uh, Erod, to have a semi-good year, 3.5 ERA-ish. <laughs> I don't have anybody outside those two who could have a 350 ERA. No. Not even in the ballpark, man. Oh. Nope. Uh, I wish I could be optimistic about this one, but no, not even me, not even Mr. Optimism about the Sox. I'm out of here on this one. Sorry, Cam. Uh, appreciate the question, but no one. Um, look to the bullpen. Rich, uh, is it time to bring back a Aceves? <laughs> uh, I think we're good, but I guess... Uh, I mean, I feel like they have a bunch of Civis like guys on the roster anyway. He would just kind of be one of those churns. Uh, how old do you think a Civis is right now? Mm, 38. Ooh, good guess. Uh, he will be 38 in December. He is currently Uh-oh. 37. Um, 37 year old Civis. Uh, do you think he could pitch better than any of the guys on the team? Probably. I don't know. But I don't want to see it. <laughs> His last ERA with the Yankees uh, was 6.52. All right. Well, that's probably not what you're looking for. Um, Floyd has our next question. Team ERA this year, plus or minus six? Going minus. Um, Minus by half. Half of a run. (laughs) 5.5. Yeah, that's probably accurate. I mean, the only one that I'm confident will be under this. Is Evaldi. So, I mean, if the other, you know, pick your best four, follow it up. Yeah, it's kind of how it seems. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say under because six is a lot, but not by much. <laughs> like you said, the bullpen will help, <clears throat> right? They're so, gonna have to. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly, and we did see some decent bullpen performances today. I think the bullpen ERA will actually be like average-ish for the league. But I think that the starter ERA will be the worst or among the worst in baseball. Yep. Barls Charkley has our next question. (laughs) Uh, He says, who is the next John Henry Frazee salary victim? Keaton, this one was uh, designed for you. It was. Um I mean, I really don't want to say Devers. Oh, God. No, don't say that. <laughs> I think they are going to find a way to resign him. I'm going to say Jeter Downs. Oof. Man, too, it's too early for me to start thinking about evil like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to say uh, Erod is the guy who will sign for big money elsewhere. Or be traded before 
his contract is up, and I think that will annoy some people. Uh, and maybe you considered that that move, but it wouldn't annoy me. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. Like, there's not many players that like it hits you in the gut, like Lester and Mookie. Like, it's it's a special kind of player. It has to like mean not just be a really good ball player, but like be a pillar of the city. It's really hard to project that out. Yeah, totally. I don't think in my, you know, there could there's a good chance that in my lifetime as a Red Sox fan, I will not see a better player than Mookie Betts get traded. Fairly good chance. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Red Seat Podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, As we said at the top of the show, please check out the rest of our shows on this network as well. Um, those will all be all in the same feed here, so you you don't have to do anything other than subscribe, uh, rate and review our, our network of shows. If you like us, uh, shout us out. Uh, we appreciate that. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. We do appreciate the download and the listen today and all of the questions and uh, keep them coming, guys. We will get through this season with or without starting pitching. So thanks again for the listen.